Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Well, folks, today on the podcast, we are pleased to welcome on Patrick Garrigan, who graduated in 2001 from VPA with a degree in musical theater. Now you hear that degree, what I'm going to tell you that he does, it's vastly different, but there's a lot of similarities to it. He's going to give us introductions into his career, how he made the transition. He currently serves as the global head of Bloomberg Live. He's worked for The Atlantic. He's worked for Politico. He's got a great communications-based career. And Patrick is our guest today on the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You know, it's always one of those meta kind of concepts when you bring a communicator on to a communicating <laughs> platform like a podcast. But I thought this is a perfect fit to uh, to bring you on. And for those that are, are listening, Patrick is going to be part of a key panel discussion on November 18th uh, for alumni. It's, it's technically geared towards alumni in the DMV, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. But anybody can sign up for this program about careers in communications and the communications sector. If you go to alumni.syr.edu slash virtual, you can register for this program uh, by searching again for the Success in DC, Maryland, Virginia program. Patrick, what made you interested in a career in communications? Yeah, no, it's very funny. I, I was looking back over because we were, uh, you know, we've had a lot of spare time during the the, the COVID uh, um, six seclusion here in our house. And so going over some old materials and I was looking through my old, um, my old playbills from, from doing theater in high school. And one of the things that came out of there is, you know, I, I plan on going to school for either advertising and communications or theater. And it just so turned out that, that, that was very prescient. And I ended up kind of landing in careers in both. Um, so I think that's kind of always been the trajectory. And, um, you know, I went to visit Syracuse when I was still in high school and um, exploring musical theater programs. And just the first day on campus, I was like, this is, this is where it's going to be. And, um, and it's kind of been a very exciting ride and a very, very nonlinear ride ever since. Uh, you were telling me before we started recording, your current job with Bloomberg, you took up right before the pandemic occurred. Uh, how has your career, how has your job been impacted and affected by the pandemic? Absolutely. No, it's a really great question. You know, I, I started exactly as you alluded to at Bloomberg Live on March 2nd. I basically found out where the bathrooms were and where the snacks were located. Um, got a chance to meet some of my wonderful colleagues before we were all sent home. And so, you know, what was a really kind of challenging but also kind of exciting time was we had to basically reinvent what live events were like in the virtual space within the first 72 hours in the role. So it was being as enterprising and creative as we possibly could, understanding what was unique about Bloomberg in terms of the, the way that we do our reporting, our data, our insights, the global perspectives and the way that people experience our work normally across .com and print, um, across the Bloomberg terminal and being able to bring all of those things to life. So using those as kind of our unique alchemy and make that transition very, very fast. When you hear the title, Global Head of Bloomberg Live, what exactly would you say that you do and are your key functions? Oh, absolutely. It's, it, you know, it is something that has been a tremendous experience. You know, when I was at, at the Atlantic, we got to tell incredible stories, but a lot of that was, was largely US-based with, you know, with amplification out into Europe um, to a certain extent. But coming into Bloomberg, where we are a 20,000 person operation, it truly is a global enterprise. So we have teams deployed all around the world with operational hubs in Hong Kong, London, 
in New York, but being able to tell those stories across all of those different geographies and bringing the fact that we have the largest newsroom in the world to tell those stories. You know, I really see my mandate is elevating the sort of journalism that people are doing every single day. Um, telling that in the live space is a unique model. And it's, it, you know, there were a lot of tools and techniques uh, that I learned from my time at Syracuse that I amplify in that work every single day. And so it's, how are you telling the story to unique audiences? And now in, in this era of COVID on unique platforms and helping it kind of live long after that, that conversation specifically has wrapped. It seems like during COVID there is, would you agree that there's more of a demand for on-demand content and especially the live part of it too. People wanna know what's happening, where it's happening. How has the coverage of the news and what's newsy to people, how has that changed with Bloomberg since you've started? Absolutely. I mean, we've noticed a very a seismic shift in terms of just the psychology of news consumers, right? I think if you would have said, come to my virtual event in a previous life, people have been like, oh no, that's stale, that's boring. There's not gonna be any news value there. I think what we've seen specifically at Bloomberg Live is people are seeing these as destinations to get those immediate insights from the newsmakers that you know, perhaps they would go to a big convening that Bloomberg Live was, was throwing in person that they're now saying, well, I'm gonna find this and watch it live so we can get those perspectives firsthand. And because we're all juggling so many things across you know, whether that's family, whether that is work commitments, whether those are social commitments, um, that we're trying to juggle our schedules as well. And so I think the fact that folks have evolved to engage with these virtual platforms on an on-demand basis, you know, we were chatting before we got started about the, the tremendous growth that you found on podcasts. We're experiencing a very similar thing in that people are finding new ways to engage with content. And the fact that you quite literally have captive audiences um, who are hungry for these insights and these perspectives to make decisions about their lives, about their organizations, about the communities in which they operate. Um, getting these insights at, in, in a way that is very urgent has never been more important. And we're seeing that register across all of our different touch points in the Bloomberg media ecosystem. But what a time to, to be alive and what a time to be in media, you know, with the pandemic, with this hotly contested election that we're dealing with. And there's a lot of concern about the accuracy of news, fake news, misinformation. How does Bloomberg Live go about trying to break through the clutter, if you will, to let people know that it's a reputable, trustworthy news organization. How do you kind of fight through that? Yeah, no, I mean, it is it's it is a really interesting time right now. I think you hit the nail on the head and that in some ways people can kind of choose their own adventure in terms of the media that they're consuming. And so with that comes, I think, a responsibility on the part of the consumer to understand what they're, what they're listening to or reading or watching and being able to contextualize that. But I think specifically for Bloomberg, we really see ourselves as kind of safe harbor for telling these really important stories um, in a way that is truly nonpartisan, that is very straightforward, that is that is very data-driven, which is core to our work, um, and using the data to tell the story and, and not going beyond that, really being kind of straightforward in just the facts. And I think, again, and especially in this ecosystem, there is incredible hunger for those sorts of perspectives that are as direct, clear, crisp, and data-backed as possible. And we see that reflected across our audiences and the growth that we've seen specifically during this period. Yeah, it's really impressive. Um, I'm just looking at some of your information here on the Bloomberg Live website. You've seen a 60% growth in your audience. You've seen attendees from 45 different countries, uh, more than 3,500 companies represented. It's clearly branched out and experienced a lot of growth. And we've talked about one of the reasons for that is people are home more, they're working from home, maybe they don't have as many commutes, so they're connected more to their news sources. How have you tried to has there been a change in strategy for delivering that content 
to people that maybe don't have different ways to access it like they used to before the pandemic? Yeah, I think that the imperative, especially since a lot of companies, specifically in the media space, have made a similar transition, Transition, we found that uh, the imperative to make this work newsworthy, to make it urgent, and to make it must-see TV in some instances, that we are in this, in this virtual world, specifically in this marriage of both the live event space and the TV space, which again is something that Bloomberg really excels at and that we were well positioned for. So I think when you are using those conditions, it helps to, to inform and, and provide direction towards how you're telling the story, how you're providing insights that are useful for people. And then editorially, the fact that we have our own newsroom, our own editorial team that is baked into the, the, the Bloomberg Live team, we're able to think specifically about how we're telling stories for this format, which again, is something that is, that is different and distinct. There is an immediate feedback loop in the work that we're doing. And so we're excited, excited to tell those stories um, in a way that is, that is geared specifically to those audiences and then using functionality like Q&A and polls, et cetera, to have in that urgent feedback loop to be able to make sure that we are serving our audiences as best we possibly can. And, you know, taking it back to kind of my, you know, initial roots, you know, in the theater world, having that, that connection to your audience is essential. And, and I think a lot of those core attributes tie back to the work that I'm doing at Bloomberg Live today. What is it, what makes a compelling story in your opinion? We always talk about the storytellers and people want something that holds their attention, but Break it down for us. What really makes something riveting that I'm going to want to tune into? Yeah, no, I, I think about that a lot, uh, especially in a world like Bloomberg, where we have a global uh, data set that we're able to draw from. And I think what makes that work really compelling and, and in terms of how we're showing up in that space is that we have the data and the perspectives to tell these incredible macro stories, right? What are the trends that you're seeing? What are the opportunities? Where is there incredible disruption and be able to see the data sets to be able to, to animate those stories? But then going down and lensing down and say, all right, well, we know what this macro narrative is is because we can see this through the visualizations that we're doing every day. What does an individual data point mean? And that's where I'm really curious about, right, is using that data and those insights to tell these broad stories, but then say, you know, what does that mean on issues of diversity and inclusion in workforces and, and uh, across the entire spectrum of industries? What does that mean in the role of technology and how that's impacting uh, how we're connecting with one another, how we're working during these disassociated times? Um, that's the stuff that I think makes it vivid, makes it crisp, and, and gives both the narrative that people can connect with, what I, what I kind of see as kind of connecting at the heart, but then being able to provide the data, the insights, and the perspectives to say, this is not just, just sentiment. There's actually real facts and real reporting behind this to reinforce that work. And I think that's where we really exist in a way that is special. And, and again, how you're telling these in a ways that are not just someone's opinion, but are really truly backed by a set of, uh, of perspectives and research and insights to be able to reaffirm kind of why this is on this trajectory. There's been a ton of these virtual events that you've held. Give us a couple that really stand out as far as being impactful and meaningful and really resonated with the audience. Absolutely. No, it's a great question. I mean, when it when we had to do that, um, that pivot, like I said, the first 72 hours on the job, we had to reimagine entirely what Bloomberg Live was, which is both terrifying and absolutely thrilling. Um, and when I did that, I, I wanted to go back and you asked this question when we started on this idea of what does it mean to be the global head of Bloomberg Live is I really wanted to distill it down to what makes us unique. And I think at its core, it is the fact that we are a truly global news organization in some ways that we are, we are reporting around the clock in 
in so many places. How do I bring that sense of, of intensity, that, that incredible metabolism to the virtual event space? So one of our first right out of the gate was one that we did called Bloomberg Invest Global. And the aim of this was really animate that story as we are, you know, we are truly endemic to the institutional investor in terms of the reporting that we do. How do we celebrate that work? So one of my, my favorites still to this day, this is back in, in late June, was Invest Global, where we did an hour of programming at 1 p.m. every day in Hong Kong, Dubai, London, and New York for three days straight. So basically what that meant, John, is I didn't sleep for 75 hours. But what it, <laughs> but, but what it really was um, an incredible moment to hear from some of the big thought leaders across the institutional investing community, um, across academia, across media, about some of the big perspectives that, are, that were happening by, by virtue of, of the incredible disruption that we felt um, because of COVID. So in addition to bringing these incredible narratives to the fore, we made a ton of news over that period because we were able to animate these, these stories during this time. And again, deliver that with, a, with the backing of the people who are at the heads of these institutions to be able to, to, um, to make that really relevant. And then as you alluded to the fact that we were able to stream that across all of the different platforms across the Bloomberg terminal, across.com, across social. So it was able to actually expand outside of this, the virtual environment to have real reach and real impact. So that's one I'm still particularly proud of. The other is, I think, you know, especially at, at Bloomberg, we have an incredible investment in green solutions against climate change and sustainability. And so being able to animate our Bloomberg Green Festival, where to date, I think it is still probably one of the most audacious kind of virtual undertakings to date, where we did five days. Uh, we did over 44 hours of programming across an entire week. Um, animating big themes across science and data, across culture, across politics and power, across the role of, of corporate communities and being an impact, um, um, an impact force for, for changing, um, um, for, for helping to combat um, climate change. And so it was just an incredible sense of, of purpose behind the work that we were doing and then being able to tell that in a variety of different ways, including one-on-one -on -one interviews. We had a performance by Sting. Um, just finding that, uh, again, leveraging the tools that we have at our disposal to tell really interesting stories. And then the last one I would say was one that we wrapped at the end of September, which is the Bloomberg Equality Summit, which was really just taking a day and talking about the role of equality and, and taking issues that, that run the gamut from housing to education to fiscal policy to inclusion in workforces and really being able to animate those across the day with some incredible leaders, Alyssa Milano, um, John Legend, uh, LL Cool J was my, my, one of my personal favorites from the day. Um, <laughs> but again, just talking about obviously the business imperative of thinking of issues of equity, but also the moral and the societal implications of that and, and taking a really kind of 360 degree look at that because I, I think especially during this moment, it's so important to lean in and prioritize these issues. And so that was one that I was incredibly proud of. So again, as you alluded to, it hasn't been a, a long tenure to date, um, but we've been able to do some really remarkable things by, by just seizing the moment and, and telling stories unique to each of those topic areas. When you talk about your, your story, and I mentioned this during your introduction, but it's what, what, what's really fascinating to me is your career arc. How did you go from studying musical theater here at Syracuse. Now, granted, there is a live aspect of the events with Bloomberg. You could call that an event and a performance, but connect the dots for us. How did you go from being a musical theater major to now being the head of, you know, global head of Bloomberg Live? 
Yeah, no, it's a great story. I, I was I was telling you before we were getting started is I was I feel very fortunate, specifically when I was at the Atlantic to host students from Syracuse during immersion week. And, you know, I finished the presentation and talk about the journey that we're about to go on. And um, uh, at the end of it, one of the, the the students raised their hand and she said, you know, this is really great. And you have a degree in musical theater. How do you have this job? Uh, which was both like delightful, but also just like it, it made me actually take that moment to reflect. And I think my life has always been about telling stories in the live space. Space. That's that's always kind of what has has given me that that sense of excitement that that let's put on a show aspect to it. Um, but as you allude to, I was a, a musical theater uh, major when I was at Syracuse. Had just an incredible time there. I, I really can't speak highly enough about my experience at Syracuse. Um, I, I I credit Rodney Scott Hudson almost every day. I, I, he was one of my professors while I was there, and I would say I literally quote him on a weekly basis um, in team meetings and and in in outward stakeholder groups. Um, but I had the good fortune of graduating from Syracuse with a job. Um, I was I got the, the touring cast of, of Titanic and I got to travel from Maine to Alaska and everywhere in between. It was just an incredible opportunity. Um, so I was able to do that for, for a good deal of time and did um, off-Broadway and regional and um, experimental theater in New York. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting. I just, I think that for me, the dream of what I wanted to be and how I wanted to tell stories changed. Um, so I migrated into experiential marketing. It was actually, I was doing some project management work in between theater gigs. And I, I really got excited by, again, thinking about different tools and, and delivering experiences for people. And so I did 10 years um, doing experiential marketing in New York City for, a, for an organization called the Michael Allen Group, uh, working largely with lifestyle and entertainment brands. Um, it was just an incredible ride because I would walk through Times Square and literally just be so thrilled because I would I would look at all the billboards and say, I've worked with literally every brand that I see in this space right now. <laughs> so it was just such an exciting time. Um, I did that for 10 years, like I said, and then um, my wife was pregnant with our, our, our first child and we wanted to change the scenery. Um, and so I was like, well, what am I gonna do now? I've been doing 10 years of experiential marketing. And I'd always been something of a political junkie. I'd love, you know, especially as you said, alluding to, to the election going on, um, you know, that was always something that was really exciting to me. And so there was an opportunity to serve as director of events at Politico. And so we moved down to DC, again, thinking about how we're telling the stories around, um, around politics, policy, and the, and the, the characters behind it. Um, and then I worked at the Atlantic shortly after that. And I did five and a half years or so at the Atlantic, um, again, covering a, a much broader array of topics, but being able to, to, to work firsthand with incredible writers, incredible intellects, you know, being able to, to, to tell folks that I was doing an event with ta Coates and, and hearing firsthand um, from this person who was just doing such incredible work and being able to grow incredibly remarkable events from the Atlantic Festival and Aspen Ideas, City Lab, and a number of others. So it was, again, not a linear path by any stretch of the imagination, but I think this idea of approaching things with a sense of a storytelling and narrative of what is that the arc of the journey, whether you're a consumer, whether you're a theater goer, whether you are a, a media um, enthusiast and being able to, to, to think about those things in terms of how can you make this as vivid and, and audacious and go really from the what is possible to what is probable to what is practical and how do we activate these things. And I think being able to have that theater training and run all of these different kind of career segments through that those filters has been, has given me the incredible gift of being able to 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 tell these stories in in unique ways with the tools that present themselves. You know, Patrick, I have to be honest. I had to Google experiential marketing to kind of get a <laughs> sense of because, look, I, I could I could lie and say, "Oh, I knew what that word is." Yeah. But 
you know, I, I had no idea what that experience was. And for our listeners, experiential marketing basically creates these experiences between the brands and the consumers. And I can see when I read that description, your personality jumps off the page, jumps well, off I, the screen at me. I'll tell you, John, I've got, I have the good fortune of, uh, as part, you know, in, in concert with my work with, with the experiential firm there, um, I, I've hold several um, world's um, uh, Guinness Book of Records. We had the, the world's largest cannoli Christmas tree, the world's largest <laughs> cardboard box. Um, but again, being able to do, you know, Times Square takeover, and and just build incredibly audacious things, going on national tours, pop-up shops, um, stunts, um, custom art installations. Again, it was really just what is kind of, you know, so often our conversations we begin with, what's the craziest thing we can think of related to this brand? And then how do we make that make sense? How do we make that both attract people on an intellectual, on an emotional level, um, and, and, and make that something that folks will never forget. Cause I, I, you know, there is that, that quote of, you know, people will, will may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And so using that as the narrative that, that animates this, that work specifically was something that was kind of really exciting in, in, in that moment when it was kind of the new frontier and experiential. Now I really want to have a cannoli and see that world's largest cannoli. Trailer. Oh my gosh. Probably hasn't aged too well over time. No, I would not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's such a fascinating arc, again, that you've taken. And you mentioned earlier how influential Syracuse uh, was in your career. What made you choose VPA and Syracuse in the first place? Yeah, no, I think for me, it was really, I I knew I wanted... Um, a much bigger university experience. I grew up in a, in a small town in Ohio, Marion, Ohio, um, and had, you know, theater was always my escape. It was always this thing where I felt like I could be my kind of my best self. And so I wanted to do that professionally. It made me, you know, folks like, well, what could you see yourself doing? And I was like, I want to do this forever. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, then just doing my research and exploring incredible musical theater programs. And as you know, from doing this work, um, Syracuse program is, is always in the, in the top rated, I mean, specifically for musical theater, um, you know, knowing the number of alums that have graduated um, and uh, have gone on to have incredible careers. Patty Murin, who is Elsa on in Frozen on Broadway, she and I have been texting all day. And so you, you found these incredible relationships and, 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 and friendships that, that grow to be kind of lifelong associations. But you know, the, the, the curriculum and the planning was just top notch and being able to, again, think expansively and think fearlessly, specifically in this program was something that, that I've taken away and I'm incredibly proud of. What other examples, Patrick, can you give us of valuable lessons, valuable tips that you picked up from your time at Syracuse that have really served you well in your career? Yeah, you know, I think I mentioned that that idea of of thinking audaciously, right? Going through that filter of of possible, probable, practical. That is something that specifically when we would we would tackle any scene or any song, that that going through that and using that as um, as as kind of how you build something was was again so foundational to everything that 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 um, that I do today. But I think the other thing is is learning to be fearless, right? There there are so many people who are who are striving to to be like somebody else, who are trying to kind of aspire towards whether that's influencer status or anything else. But being fearless and really kind of owning who you are, being in terms of putting your ideas out there, and they may be colossal flops, and and being able to be granted the permission for that to be okay. But 
but putting yourself, putting your ideas out there, having the confidence to articulate them in a way that is going to move other people and, and compel them into action, whatever that might be, whether that's emotional or political or, or driving consumer behaviors, like those are really, really important, tangible things um, about my time at Syracuse that, that I that I got. And then the other was like this, the, the value of hustle, right? Of actively going after the things that you want. And, and again, this kind of ladders back to that sense of fearlessness, but so often specifically when I'm talking to people who are, you know, especially right now who are, who are transitioning careers into something else, I'm saying, go after what you want. If someone has a job that you want, email them, hit them up on LinkedIn and say, Hey, tell me about what you do and be legitimately curious. And I think that that is something, you know, I specifically in the theater program that we were very good at because we were of course learning scene study and, and vocal classes and, and writing and scripting and directing, but we we're also learning the business of it, of, of being out there pounding the pavement every day, thinking about how you're marketing yourself um, and, and really kind of going after those things with a sense of purpose. That's something that I've taken away and have applied through kind of all aspects of my career. When you reflect back on your time at Syracuse, I can tell how excited you are to be talking about Syracuse, to be reminiscing about your career you know, on the stage. What are some of your favorite memories and favorite moments from your time on the Hill? Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, mine was also like such an interesting thing because, you know, I had both the the top of the hill and the bottom of the hill experience. I lived at Brewster Bolin was what it was called at the time when I was there and Lawrenson for my first two years and then lived down at the bottom of the hill by um, by the Syracuse, uh, by Syracuse stage and the drama program. And so, you know, I was, I, the, this opportunity was wonderful because it gave me that chance to reflect and I will never forget going to Cosmos and having, um, <laughs> having the, the sticky bun and and a um, and a milkshake and just going into like total sugar overload. <laughs> I, mean, I think that is one of the one of the biggest ones that I have. It's just the time on campus and 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 the friendships that I've made that are so lifelong. I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but in so many ways, especially in the theater program, when you graduate, it isn't goodbye, and then everyone goes off to the wind. That was your core support system moving to New York and having this network of people who were dealing with the same things and having the foundation of all having gone through the same thing at Syracuse was just wildly, wildly helpful. And I think the last piece that I that I, I have such a, a strong affinity for is the way that that the Syracuse um, drama program was was structured in terms of having the school aligned with Syracuse stage. And so being able to 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 learn from people who are professionals in the space and be able to align with them and learn what the pro, what people's processes were. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I was well on my way to getting my union card before I'd even left, uh, before I'd even left college. And so having those experiences that is that mix of, of the best of the college with, with kind of being able to tow the water and from a professional world before even graduating was, is something that I will never forget. Now, I know, Patrick, a lot of people, again, are going to listen and they're going to keep asking the questions of, you know, how and why. And you filled in the gaps of how you went from being musical theater to where you are now. You mentioned the audacity, live audaciously, go after what you want and be tenacious. What are some other career pointers you might give for people who want to get into the communications sector based on how constantly evolving the world is right now? What's like your top two, top three pieces of advice? Yeah, I think... Um... There are a handful, and I think about this a lot because I think, as you alluded to, so many people are doing, are in the live event space now, are in the virtual space. So you have to be kind of always challenging yourself to go forward. I think if I were to kind of put those down into, you know, maybe kind of three core tenants to take away from those, it is always be legitimately curious. I think when, you know, I, I um, when I was graduated, I had this this five-year plan as I was going to be on Broadway, then I was going to, you know, run the theater, then I was going to run for the Senate. And like, it was all mapped out, right? Like, 
like I had a plan. Um, um, but life is way cooler than I could have ever imagined. And so I think being curious and 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 not shutting down something because it's different than what you've what you what you thought was your plan. Those disruptions are exactly what leads you in in the in the very kind of nonlinear path that I've that I've had. I think you've always the other one that I kind of go back to is you'll always be rewarded for creativity, right? Always, what is the cherry on top? What is the thing that you can bring to your work that no one else has thought about? And take the time to really put the work in on those things to add the element. You know, John, you're doing this right now. You're you're mentioning like having this be this this passion project that you want to bring the stories of, of Syracuse grads and Syracuse heroes forward, like bring the creativity to that and to uncover new things and do it in ways that, that no one has thought before, whether that is something that is embraced or not is 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 kind of neither here nor there, because I think people always appreciate the the the, the colors that you've brought to a specific um, initiative. And, and ultimately, you may find yourself on the way there. Um, I think the, the last thing that I would say is, is um, embrace your superhero skills, right? I think specifically changing from a theater world where it's very laissez-faire, right? It like you're letting your freak flag fly is, is like is a core attribute. And I, th and I think changing from that world to a more kind of professional or corporate structure, I thought, well, if I'm moving from this world to this world, I should be this, I should fit in this box, I should talk like this. Um, and, and I found that I've actually found a much greater success by embracing the fact that I'm not like everyone else and, and I like different things and I'm not scared to talk about the things that, that light me up. And if someone has a good idea to tell them and not hide those things, because you're also creating a permission structure for other people to do the same. And I just love that idea of embracing your own superhero skills. And even now I will start conference calls by singing and like, sorry, <laughs> um, but, um, but it is like, those are the things that are unique unique about me that help add value to whatever organization that I happen to be in. And everyone has those. They may not be quite as, <laughs> as loud as mine are, but they have them. And so I encourage folks to never, never put those things away, but to really kind of lift them up, celebrate them and, and think about what the way, the way that you look at things, how does that add value to whatever organization you happen to be in? Two things I've taken away from your, from your comments here. Uh, obviously your passion, your direction, your ability to you know, be fluid and, and pursue your dreams and chase down unusual angles. You know, you're not, you don't, you don't take no for an answer. Again, you're being audacious and you're living, you know, living your best life. I also really desperately want a toasted honey bun now, since you mentioned that. From so thanks for getting my appetite all up there during the podcast. Please. I know, I know. <laughs> I live for those things. I, you know, I can't, I can't pack those away like I used to though. Yeah. Man. But it, it's great to hear. I'm so happy to hear about your successes too. Again, for those alumni that are listening, and we thank you for, of course, coming on the podcast, Patrick, he will be a part of a panel discussion on November 18th on communications careers, along with Sarah Polger, the director at National Geographic, Jennifer Arnold, the senior director of marketing and communications at the U.S. Soccer Federation. You can register for the event by going to alumni.syr.edu, or you can also visit CC syr.edu slash success in any city series. Patrick, we wish you nothing but the best in all your future endeavors. Can't wait to see what you cook up more with uh, these Bloomberg <laughs> Live events out here. And again, thanks for taking the time to reminisce with us. Thanks so much for having me, John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. 
You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.